to Probate Weekly, uh, where we get together every week and talk to attorneys, professionals in real estate, investors, vendors, to learn how to be more effective in our real estate probate business. I'm Bill Gross, I'm your host. And we typically interview attorneys. One of the reasons why, and I think what we don't want to do is look at this as all of us are now going to gang up and ask this attorney for business. Because I think you're going to find it's really the opposite way, that when you learn how to bring value to your customers and learn how to bring value to your attorneys, the business naturally comes to you rather than uh, the prospecting and sales approach. And so I know that to be true. I've had the pleasure of working with Colette. I discovered that we had met, and I guess it's just me being older, years ago, pre-COVID in real life. We met at coffee, uh, at the coffee bean in uh, Corpus Sue. I had a chance to meet one-on-one -on -one and talk about probate business. Mm -hmm. And I had a chance to re-catch up with her talking about um, specifically uh, um, conservatorship. So I'm really excited to have with us local probate attorney and conservatorship attorney and guardian attorney, Colette Davis. Colette, thank you so for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, now, one other thing, uh, I know that you're not looking to necessarily build the business in North Carolina, but you also are, are a member of the bar in North Carolina as well, correct? That's correct, yes. And so that's because of your personal business and geography. It's not because it was a marketing decision as a second market. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. No, I happened to move there some years ago and uh, I wasn't going to practice law, but then the recession hit. So I decided I'd go back to practicing law. It's worked out. And I think you've been quite busy. So how did you get into uh, law and the specific, how did you get into um, estate planning and conservatorship specifically? Uh, well, I, you know, I started off um, actually with a big firm um, and doing corporate work, but uh, after a few years, it just didn't sit with me very well. And at the time I was married, my ex-husband was a probate lawyer um, and he needed help. And I ended up walking into that practice to help him out. But in addition to that, I actually loved the area when I was in law school, but that just was not something that the large firms were hiring for. So I managed to get here anyway, <laughs> which was great. So, yeah. Now, um, the, the practice of probate law, and I look at website, estate planning, trust administration is a broad practice. How do you describe the portion of that market that you address? Estate planning and probate and primarily administration. So I do most things under the probate code, which includes decedents estates, conservatorships, guardianships, and trusts. And I also do trust administration. So those things. I don't do some of the other areas, but I do those that group. And so those new are on the call, a conservatorship is a case where the court appoints somebody to manage affairs for somebody who's not competent to manage own affairs, maybe medically or mentally not able to. Is that for description? That's pretty good, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> and guardianship would be somebody who's not uh, able to because they're too young. They're children, and so they're guardians until they become adults. And so these are different forms, and these are all handled in probate court in California. And there's different names for them in different states, family court, I think, in New York and other other names in other states, but they're basically all the same thing. You have people who died, people who are mentally or physically incapacitated, and you have people who are too young, and all those kind of fit into the court process that we call probate. Yeah. So um, let, let's let's first talk about the business side of it, because in, in, even though you, you're an attorney, and I think all attorneys aspire to practice the law, the reality is you're running a business. You got to bring in a certain amount of business. You got to pay the bills. Does the business just come in at this stage of your career, or do you have to do certain things to develop the business, or are there things you've done in the past that have built the business that you're capitalizing on today? Uh, for the most part, I, it, the business, this comes. Um, luckily, thank God I don't advertise or anything like that for the most part. I get nothing but referrals, past clients, 
um, some current clients, people I know, real estate people, you know, folks in the uh, real estate industry in one way or another, whether it's title company or some other source. I, I'm also fortunate enough to have been born and raised in Los Angeles and gone to school here. So I know quite a few people and given my age, most of them need some help right about now. So most of your classmates are old. You're young, but they're all old. Yeah, right. They all got old and I stayed young. What do you want? That <laughs> so I think one of the misconceptions I want to create is I think real estate agents imagine that attorneys have all these probate and related cases to hand out listings like their candy. But in reality, I believe in your case, we talked about this before, a good chunk of your business comes to you from real estate agents like those of us on the call today. That's correct. Yeah, a lot, so of, that, a lot of business comes from real estate agents, yes. So what's that look like? I know I called you recently on a conservative ship because number one, geographically, number two, I know that you, as an area that you work in, hasn't turned in business yet, but you never know how that works out. Right. But you know, now I know that I know you to be in that field specifically. How do how do realtors come to bring you in a transaction most commonly? Most commonly, they just give me a call and and they have a question about an issue, uh, and that's primarily how it gets started. Sometimes they know straight out that you know some type of probate needs to be done, but often, and this is becoming more and more the case where the properties were in trust or a property was in trust and for some reason or another it was removed from the trust so we have to do a Hegstad petition most often rather than um, a full-blown probate which is beneficial but there still needs some need some assistance in that respect yeah so that's most of the time so i think just to point again to the listeners of the call it starts with a question i think often we get those questions if we know a little bit we can ask the question take another step and mm -hmm. then bring it to the right person so in the case of Colette, uh, most recently, I had a colleague who asked a question, but you know, who knows an attorney in LA? Well, we, we all know attorneys in LA, right. right? What are you looking for? Well, specifically, and I talked to this agent on the phone, aged parents live in, uh, actually in the Westchester area, not too far from you. Mm -hmm. So another, one reason I thought of you. And then second, conservatorship. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I, I know other attorneys who don't do them. I know one who, who does. And so that way I could add some value and say, well, here's a woman who does conservatorships. And I know uh, I had interviewed her. I also know on her website. And so that adds a little value to that relationship. So, you know, the goal is to make the relationship, the referral stick. This one hasn't stuck yet, but it, you know, it's a, it's a business is how these things go. So I want all of you on the call to kind of pay attention to the content. So you can be the person who gets that phone call. And then you could be the one that introduces the appropriate attorney. Hopefully it's Colette or others, but that you're the one who makes an introduction. So the phone call comes to you. Is it you know, do you take phone calls during the day? Do you take email? You rather get an email first? You rather have an appointment set with your? Um, what does that look like? It, it depends. It really, it truly depends. So I do take a lot of phone calls, probably more than I need to, but I like to kind of get an idea of what's going on. I miss a lot of emails, and sometimes I play catch up on the weekend. So if it's something that's more urgent, I would rather have a phone call because in that way I can kind of get, you know, take care of it right away and be done. I make a lot of calls after hours and luckily for me you know you guys work long hours and so i can normally catch you after five o'clock so that part's good um but i try to return phone calls all the time so i'd rather have a phone call for something urgent if it's something i can get back to in a few days or so yeah email is fine because i may not even see the email for a couple of days so and i want you all to hear that that and not saying this to knock her or you know at all uh, god forbid but I think there's realtor time, which we expect people to respond within minutes, right. <laughs> maybe an hour or two. And there's attorney time, which is within a couple of days. And, and sometimes because they're in a court hearing all day for two or three days in a row, or they're in a deposition all day for two or three days in a row. 
And so I think we have to understand there's a little difference in that response time and make sure we set expectations appropriately to be effective with those phone calls. Yeah. If so, I can't interject, Bill, I'm sorry. No. One other thing I think it would be really beneficial in that respect is, if, particularly if you're giving an attorney a call, whoever you speak to on the phone, give them as much information as you can so we can kind of assess how urgent it is. Because if it is something urgent, I will, you know, pretty, even if it's not a client, obviously, it's like I want to be of assistance. And so I want to be able to get back with you because you're waiting for an answer. Um, and often I get that as an issue as well. It's like they just want to speak to me, but my assistant will get to me a lot faster um, and I'll be able to return the phone call a lot faster as well. So, and I think the other thing is that often it starts as a question, not as a, hi, I want to retain you as an attorney, here's my checkbook. Right. It's really, right. my mom or dad X, what do I do, right? That's usually what the, what starts the dialogue. Right. So let's talk first about, um, uh, you, you, you know, a very common case in trust administration now is the world's greatest estate plans put together and then along the way, somebody refinances a property out of the estate, deeds the property out of the estate. <laughs> I, I say it's like taking taking the gold out of the uh, safe deposit box and sticking it on the table, walking away. Now you come <laughs> right. back and say, hey, we want this back in the safe box. Yeah. So that's a Hexhead petition. So what's that look like time-wise? And what's it look like financially? If everybody is on board and it's fairly administrative, it still is an expensive proposition and a Tommy proposition, correct? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So you still have to file a petition in court which means that we still have to draft a petition to file. So there is that. And there's also at least one hearing and some other paperwork. So um, certain notices have to go out and things like that as well. So from the time that we would draft it um, to the time that it's heard, depending on the county, it can be two or three months easily. And LA County is gonna be two or three months easily. Yeah. In some of the other counties, it may be even longer. Recently, I had, um, I had requested a hearing in Orange County and it took them two months just to give me a hearing date. Right. So, you know, there's that, it, there is tough. And then the price, it's it's gonna range depending upon the circumstances, but anywhere between four and $6,000, somewhere in that you know, range, just depends on the complication and exactly what documents are available or what kind of arguments we have to make. So that's it. Um, of course, there's filing fees. The filing fees are not going down. Uh, the initial filing fee is just under $500. So there's that, but um, yeah, that's about it. One of the most common errors I see of of estate planning attorneys' services, mm -hmm. online services, document signers that do estate plans, is they prepare an estate plan, but they and they tell the customer, "Oh, you need to deed the property into the estate," but that doesn't get done. So you have a good plan, and you might even have in there the right verbiage to do a Hegstead, meaning you might have in there a pour of a will and the intention and all that, but if you don't deed it, it doesn't really count, right? Right, it doesn't really count and you still have to do the Hegstead. So the thing is, I, I don't believe in my clients having to deed their property because it won't get done. I had someone walk in the other day and they had a perfectly fine estate plan, but the, the, the original deed was still in the, in the folder. Now stop for a second, because I, I think it's so important. I, I want to repeat that because it, we all think our customers are going to follow our instructions. We all believe, we give them the sheet, we tell them what to do, they nod us, walk out the door. But one more time, you said yeah. you don't allow the customer to deed the property because... Because they won't do it. 
because they will not do it. So I de I send the deed into the recorder's office. And sometimes that's a hassle because, you know, as we all know, that we, I mean, we probably should know, the recorder's office is not the easiest thing to deal with. Most oftentimes, you can have the slightest little mistake or the slightest little thing and they will send it back. And so we, we have our fair share of returns, but I still take the responsibility of making sure that the property gets deeded. I can't obviously... Um, fund their account with their retirement benefits. I mean, not retirement, I'm sorry, excuse me, but there's um, investment benefits or investment accounts and bank accounts and things like that. They have to do that. And that's fine. But um, I can fund their trust with their real property. And that's the most important thing most often. I think that's one of the things that struck me about you is to me, and I don't mean to cast aspersions on other attorneys, and I've heard reasons why they don't want to do it. But as a real estate practitioner who's seen this mess over and over and over again and been in probate court and seen it over yeah. and over, it doesn't seem to me like if you don't record the deed, you've really done your whole job. That's just that's how I feel. Yeah, that's how I feel. Definitely. And so that's why I feel comfortable you know, referring you to somebody, because I think it's important that the job get done. I'm not sending it to just sell a house. I want the customer to get the experience, be happy and feel like I've made a great introduction and says, well, thank you so much. She's really the bomb. I'd hate to have him call and say six years later, hey, that's that attorney you sent me to didn't deed the property. <laughs> and the customer assumes they're gonna, they're assuming you that the attorney's doing it. I mean, mm -hmm. they assume if it's necessary, why would you not do it? Right. Yeah. Well the thing is, is that you know we put I put a copy of the deed in the in the um in their folder and they provide for them. But the original deed comes directly back to them. Right? right. So I want to make sure that that gets back to them. Either way, I, I also have a, a conformed copy in my files so I can make sure that I receive one that got recorded and so forth. And if I don't have a, um, a conformed copy in my file, then generally something's wrong. The and I would say to anybody referring somebody to estate planning, you want to offer to verify the recording. As real estate agents, we all have access to public records. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why you shouldn't put your to do list three days later. To go online to see if the deed's recorded. If it is, send them a copy. Hey, by the way, I went online. I saw you recorded. It's a simple email. Everybody appreciates. If if it's not, hey, notice it's not recorded. Are you sure you took it down and got it done? And I think it that thing as a real estate agent or investor, or whatever, um, kind of closes the the loop and makes you valuable as well. Absolutely. You meant you mentioned the the uh, customer with the folder, yes. right? So <laughs> how many times has somebody brought a estate plan somebody else did and they opened the folder? They're so proud of all the documents. And there is the original grant deed. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I don't right know here. how many times. There's there's so many times. <laughs> that grant right here. Ah! It's, yeah, it's a regular thing. It's a regular thing. I don't get it. I don't know why. I mean, between that and all the blank pages that are inside as well. But uh, you know, normally the, the clients, they get the, the folder. And nine times out of 10, they're going to take that folder and stick it on the shelf. And that's it. And so if if the property hasn't been recorded or the deed hasn't been recorded uh, as part of the trust, it's not going to get recorded in all honesty. And the person's going to die and it's not going to be in the trust. And that's all there is to it. I mean, and that's, it just happens. I give a long explanation about what you need to do and how you need to do it and so forth and so on. Um, but I'd make sure that the deed is, you know, is, is uh, put into the trust because they're not going to follow any of the rest of the instructions anyway. Let me do a little housekeeping here real quick. This is Probate Weekly. We do this every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. We live stream it on uh, YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn. If you're watching on the live stream, you see a bunch of people right now, <clears throat> excuse me, on the YouTube and Facebook. 
Feel free to put comments in. I'm watching the comments here as well and along, and we'll answer questions. If you have questions for Colette during the live stream, we'll get them live. If you have them on the recorded side, uh, either I'll be able to answer them, I'll send them to her, and we'll get them answered afterwards. So I'd love to have you participate. Mm -hmm. And just kind of a quick, you know, where are we and how do we get here? Um, this is the Probate Weekly. If you want to come into the Zoom live, we'd love to have you. ProbateWeekly.com. You can sign up and join the uh, Zoom call live if you want to participate, ask questions live. Otherwise, you can watch on the uh, restream on YouTube at episodes.probateweekly.com. We also have a Facebook group. You can continue the conversation there. We have questions, content. If you have probate-related content, love to have you post it there. We have referral requests for attorneys, for realtors around the country. Love to help have you uh, participate. We have about just under 3,000 members in the Facebook group. If you want any information about me, my link tree has all my links to different programs I work on. It's linktr.ee slash Bill Gross. And you can see the different programs that I'm working on as well. After we're done, take kind of a special, um, for those of you who are looking to build your marketing as a real estate agent or investor, um, you may know that I have a pretty active YouTube channel and I've created some shorts uh, YouTube content. We've all, my assistant has created some using AI, some avatars that take the content we've done and will allow you to customize it either with a generic avatar. You can pick male, female, dark, white, blue, green, or whatever, mm -hmm. or you can even have your picture put on. And we'll talk about that a little bit at the end after we're done with Colette. We don't want to bore her uh, with the details. I see Celeste uh, McIver is watching from Phoenix, Arizona. Shout out to you. Um, uh, Celeste, thanks for joining in on the YouTube live stream. Okay, so um, let's let, let's talk about the process in a trust mm -hmm. of selling real estate. Um, generally speaking, it's a pretty straightforward process, right? The property is deeded in a trust. Um, there's really no, unless there's some sort of litigation threat or issues like that, it's a fairly straightforward process. Um, yet they do need to get the proper documents. Um, oftentimes we find that customers have can't find the trust, yeah. lost the trust, uh, have an unsigned, undocumented, you know, unexecuted uh, copy of the trust. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. Um, when when customers or you know, people come to you and say, hey, you know, mom and dad did a trust, but we can't find it, and yeah. the property is deeded in the trust, what are our options at that point? Well, uh, it depends. <laughs> of course, I'm a lawyer, so it would be. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, so you're going to try to obviously find a trust or some semblance of the trust if you possibly can. Uh, if you have a copy of it, you might be able to argue, even if it's not executed, if the property is in the trust and they have similar dates or the same dates, you can pretty much argue that it is, in fact, a true and correct copy of the trust, that the person has seen the trust, they've seen the executed version, they just simply lost it, they don't know where it is. That might be able to use it, utilize it that way. Um, sometimes, believe it or not, and this is really bizarre, is that sometimes people record their trust, I don't know why, in the recorder's office, but I have had several clients able to reach the trust or find the trust having been recorded in the recorder's office. I think often that's not something that has been drafted by an attorney that's generally drafted by someone using like legal Zoom or something like that or doing it themselves, but that does happen as well. And then of course, you can always see if you can find um, the, the attorney who drafted it. All the attorneys would have a copy of it if, if you could find the attorney who drafted it. And sometimes you can do that based upon the deed because we will put our indication on the deed so we, the the recording was requested by and i always put my name there so that's another way that you could possibly find a copy or find the person who drafted the trust in order to obtain a copy now you do that i think again because you're kind of above that's why we're talking to you <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh, uh you know we deal with the ones that don't and i i find um 
particularly kind of the self-help deeds yeah. as a notary or the old attorneys who did it years ago, uh, you know, purposely wanted to be anonymous, didn't keep a copy of the trust. So if there is not one available at all, but you know it's deed in the trust, at that point, what are your options? Um, there's not a lot, to tell you the truth. I mean, you can go and argue, you know, you can argue almost anything in court, right? And if you get if you can make a good argument, it may be able to make a stick. But the bottom line is, is that if you cannot prove the trust, you can't prove any terms of the trust or anything like that, you may have to remove the property from the trust and simply probate it. That may that ultimately that may end up happening. And is the default then to whoever had deeded into the trust? Meaning if you know Joe Smith deeded to the Joe Smith Smith Trust and there's no Joe Smith Trust, do we assume it's Joe Smith and we probate, we start the probate there? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah it would be Joe Smith's probate. Yeah. Yeah. But they're all they're all those are different and it's different 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 different. Yeah. well, you know, it's an interesting case. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can avoid that, you definitely want to do that. I mean, you want to avoid it. It's a shame when something like that happens, but it does happen. Well, because the person spent the time to do it. I think that's, you know, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but I know that so many customers won't even get started in the process. Here they did it and deeded the property. Right. And then you can't find it. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. I mean, I've been able to actually have actually once, once or twice, I was actually able to find the attorney through the um through the notary. And so I was able to do that and um you know and find and find who the attorney was because the notary either worked for that office or perhaps it was even the attorney who who notarized it so it just depends very nice uh shout out matt saying there's a new realtor watching from new jersey uh shout out to new jersey thanks for joining in um bryce first time viewer thank you from north carolina excited to be here you had a question um how often does a do you uh collect run into clients needing a conservatorship bond a conservatorship bond Sorry, if there's an estate they're going to need a conservatorship bond so if it's of the person only then they wouldn't need a bond but if it's of the estate they're going to be bonded for whatever's in the estate so anybody who's who's going to be the administrator of the conservatorship estate a family of the estate mm -hmm. oh the estate of the conservative that's correct uh, so the, whether they be a family member or i guess even a professional fiduciary would have to have some sort of a bond of, of some type yes uh, yes absolutely and then um so what circumstances they necessary we answered every time how do you approach these situations so uh, does the same bond company do these conservatorship bonds that does the probate bonds i think the answer is yes, yes. I know, uh, it's a fiduciary bond yes and is your you have a preferred vendor that you use as bond services uh, i use bond services most often mm -hmm. they seem like the most common company for that in here yeah. in la area good okay good uh, and for all those that call, feel free to put your contact info in. We're welcome to network here. We're all real estate agents or attorneys or whatever. So we'd love to have you participate. Shout out to Winston. Thanks for being on the call today. Um, let's see here. If you want to mention the call, us or not. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jess. So uh, Jess is pointing out that we have a program for realtors. I think I will I will um, shut that out at the end as well. So we'll leave that for now. Um, Tasha says there should be a secure database for the trust documents. Wouldn't that be nice if there was a, a data, like a state of California depository trust document uh, database? Yes. Yeah, the notary, the attorney, yes. the check mark, you, you, yes. you record the deeds. Yes. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, it would be wonderful. Yes. The only problem with that is, of course, people would deposit it and then want to change their trust and not redeposit it. There you go. Always, it's always something. Thank right. goodness that's the key. Okay, so let's shift a little bit because I do know that a good part of business is estate planning, what I would term avoiding probate, avoiding right. conservatorship litigation. 
<laughs> by right. putting it by planning ahead of time, uh, the the uh, closing the barn door before the cows get out. So let's talk about estate planning. Um, just describe a little bit for your like, what's your most common estate plan that you work with? I, I'm sure there's a range, but what's the fat middle look like of the client clients that you work with on a regular basis? You mean as far as like assets? Um, well, how you yeah, however you would describe it, just by asset type or personality yeah, type. I mean, no, yeah, often it's just a you know regular you know kind of a mom and dad situation, you know mom and pop situation, and they may have their residence and another piece of rental property or something to that effect. Sometimes maybe two, um, and they want to leave it to their kids. But I get a lot of single women, particularly, and you know they have either they have a child or they have a grandchild that they want to make sure to take care of. Um, most of the time it's they're older. So they're more in, they have grown children and they also want to make sure that they cover their grandchildren. So that's generally the case, but yeah, just a regular everyday person, nothing um, outlandish, truthfully. And so I'm in all different shapes and sizes. True or false, anybody who has a house in California should probably have a state plan. Yeah, yeah. If your house is, yeah, yeah, yes. I'm going to say yes across the board. If you have a house in California, you should have an estate plan. A lot of people come to me and say, oh, I only have this one little house, but one little house in California is going to be a half a million dollars plus, right? right. Pretty much anywhere. So right. it's, it's certainly well worth it. I mean, the thing is, is that if you don't do anything and you go through probate, even a half a million dollar house is going to be some about fifteen dollars or $16,000 in statutory fees. You don't want that. Plus cost, plus possible plus cost, plus yeah, plus, plus drama, filing, the filing fees, the cost, the you know probate referee, the all that. So everything in it could easily be approaching twenty thousand dollars just on a half a million dollar house. Right. And true or false, anybody with children that they want to take care of when they're not able to should also have the state plan. I do believe so, and particularly if they're minors, most definitely yes, yeah. because the thing is that if you leave your child an asset directly and your child is below the age of 18 that is going to create another court incident so to speak so they're going to have to go to court get a guardianship even if it's a surviving parent and that's what most parents don't understand even if it's a surviving parent oh, wow. and say for instance you know dad dies and leaves half of the assets to mom and half of the assets to junior right um in the in the form of a life in, insurance policy or whatever the case might be junior's assets have to go through a guardianship and, and and mom does not have an opportunity to utilize those assets at all for junior for the basics and chances are dad wanted you know to simply supplement whatever was necessary for junior but mom can't even use those assets which is something the parents don't understand and they'll have to be bonded they'll have to report on an annual and then biannual basis to the court until junior gets to be 18 and then they get a hundred percent of everything so it's just ugly if every go really to ugly. probate court and see uh guardianships it's just ugly it's yeah. just ugly 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 you want to avoid now that that specific requirement to your speaking is really california is it similar or the same in north carolina basically the yes same it's exactly the same it depends upon what the age of majority is of course in some states it's a little bit lower than than 18 but whatever the age of majority is when they if they're under that age there's a guardianship is going to be required if they're and when they reach that age and over then they get a hundred percent because the court loses jurisdiction they now are considered to be an adult 
And so now Junior's going to get that $100,000 life insurance policy um, and go blow, blow it on a car, right? So could be good, could be bad. Yeah, yeah. Blow it on drugs, blow it on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe he's got a, a nefarious girlfriend or family member. <laughs> and, right. I mean, those things that happen that you it, never it, know. Yeah. You, yeah. Ne you never know. So you never know. that's yeah. why we do these things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, but that, so let's go back to estate planning. Yeah. Um, just, uh, I see shout out to uh, Joyce. Hey, Joyce done the OC. So <clears throat> estate planning is one of those things that you don't need it until you need it. It's kind of like life insurance. Right. 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 I, I'm going to live forever, so I don't need it. Right. Right. But odds are I won't live forever. I don't know. It's I mean, this is a very good chance. To, <laughs> that's not so. So and I know you're not selling people to get estate plans, but here's your chance. I'm going to put you on a soapbox right now. Right. And maybe you're not selling them to say to your business, but in general, the concept. Sure. Um, what do you what would you like to say to people who, and i know you've met prospective clients who meet with you and they talk about an estate plan they go home and you never hear from them again right that happens yeah. the you know they, they never really take the steps or fill out the questionnaire or give the documents whatever to to get it going but you know they should yes what would you like to say to those people that we as real estate agents who deal with them daily or in our own social media our own conversations with our customers when they're buying a house mm -hmm. and deeding it not in a trust right right Right. Good opportunity to talk about everybody on the call. Yeah. What would you like to say to those people to maybe get them to take a little more seriously? Well, you know, I think I always like to have an opportunity to explain why it's important, right? But you may not have that opportunity. They may not want to hear about it. The one thing, I mean, I, and I'm going to say this somewhat in jest, but I, I am very serious about it. Unless you know when you're going to die and you know that you're going to be competent up until that point, there is no reason to not plan in all honesty, because the, the reality is, of course, that we're all going to pass away at some point and we don't like to think about it. I understand. The one thing I find is that people have a comment. Oh, I'm not ready for it yet. Oh, it's not. I'm not old enough yet. Well, if I knew when I was going to die, yeah, sure. I would buy life insurance a day before as well as do my estate planning. But the fact of the matter is we don't know. And so from that perspective, I think that people really need to think about it because those heart attacks and those strokes, they come with no warning right? And when they come, chances are that person is going to be out and not able to do any kind of estate plan if they survive it in the first place or any or give any instructions to do an estate plan. And that's the thing that's the most, you know, really most um, um, heart disheartening because you thought about it, you thought it was, you know, too soon for you, you know, whether it's you, your grandmother, your husband, whomever, you know, has that incident, whatever it is, and now you're thrust into the court system with a conservatorship in order to be able to handle anyone's affairs. It just makes no sense. You're going to pay more in just filing fees alone than you would for a trust over the course of a conservatorship. It makes no sense. I like to pass a law that says if you own a house or you have kids and you don't have an estate plan, you have to go to probate court one day and watch <laughs> hearings on guardianships. Because you just sat there for like half an hour. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa! Give me those documents. Give me the heck out of here, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's sad. It's 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 just so sad. It's so so sad, you know. And I don't think we pay attention and understand the the intersection of those issues. I had a an aunt who was who was divorced and had a long time equivalent of a husband, but didn't marry him because her divorce settlement 
stopped giving her spouse support. She remarried and, is, and her first husband was very wealthy. Mm -hmm. So she lived with my uncle, whatever, for 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. like he was a husband. But she goes, gets sick, goes to the hospital. The, my uncle, her, her boyfriend, mm -hmm. or kind of like husband, is talking to the doctor. They, won't, they can't find record of insurance. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. She has it in her bank accounts, but she, he doesn't have access to her bank accounts because they're not married. Right. And they didn't do any paperwork to cure that. They didn't do paperwork to cure it. And he calls me in a panic. And I'm like, I do a podcast on this every week. You know, my family members have no excuse. I've sent them all copies of this. I wish they'd watch my video. I wish they'd like it and subscribe too. Yeah. You have no excuse if you're my family member not to have this day plan in my book. Right. Um, and I also was at court once when a um, parent who had retired out of the country, their son was in an automobile accident, like 22. It was like life-threatening, you know, comatose in the hospital and they can't get power to do whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. because he whatever reasons didn't have the name change or was a stepson yeah. whatever the story was yeah heartbreaking like that's yeah, terrible it is it's really terrible and i get those kinds of stories daily i mean in all honesty it's it's every, daily it is one thing that fuels me to do this for everybody listening on the call please whenever and, and there's real situations this is an obvious easy ask you're selling to somebody's house you write the offer you say great what's your name joan colette davis great i'm curious why do you guys have not have a trust to buy the title and the trust? Yeah. Oh, you'll need it later. Great. You don't have one. Do you know why it's important to have one before we close escrow? Because it'll be deeded in and insured in the trust. That's beautiful, right? So all those on the call, I, I don't know how else I can make it more obvious to you. And I'm, I'm sure it's true in other states also. Definitely look at getting the state plan done before they buy the house. If they're selling to buy another one, great time. You pull up the public record, you know if they have it deeded right or not. Ask the question then. It is being a little pushy, but you're also creating value for your customer. And I think that's what we want to do. And I think they would really value that information because quite often they don't want to come to an attorney because they think we're too expensive. And so that would give them a, a really good value if you just explain to them why it's so important and then yeah. they see an attorney. But often they just people are very apprehensive, of course, about coming to an attorney because they think we're going to charge for everything, which we don't. But, we, you know, our we are expensive. So, well, also, as a real estate agent, I can help minimize your time by getting the deed or getting the mm -hmm. story together and saying to you at a time you can look at it and understand what's going on and make an assessment sometimes without a longer phone call and i think that helps the customer bridge that gap so everybody in the call this is one of my passions in life is anybody who owns a house in california anybody yeah. who has kids yeah even if you're married yes. just get it done and it's way less expensive before you need it than afterwards and yeah and you're, you're probably going to need it yeah no that's definitely Definitely. Okay. Um, questions, comments. Again, I've done a lot of talking and I, I could talk, to, I have talked to Clint quite a bit on the phone <laughs> too. So glad to do it. But th this is meant to be participative. And I think for those of you who are real estate agents who are looking to work with realtors, again, this isn't about putting a bullseye in Colette and going for a business, it's learning how to converse, how to add value to your customers and using this opportunity to learn. So feel free to raise your hand or ask questions in the chat box. Love to have it be as participative as possible. Um, and then just while just a little housekeeping while we're here, um, Colette, if you do want to, if you have a, a estate planning client like to recommend or a um, trust administration case, conservatorships or guardianships, uh, her website is, gosh, I can't even see anymore, cdavislaw.com <laughs> for Colette mm -hmm. Davis, cdavislaw.com. And there she has all the details about her, her company, there's her picture, 
there's her phone number, feel free to reach out to her. And if that's appropriate or email ahead. So I'd like to email the question before the call so they have a chance to look at it. Well, that's and, fine. Then, and then a reminder for me is Probate Weekly is this program. You can register, come on live on the Zoom if you want to participate, probateweekly.com. And we continue the conversation on the Facebook group at Probate Weekly. We have about 2,900 members across the country. Feel free to put requests for referrals for introductions to attorneys or realtors there. Feel free to post your probate and estate planning related content there. Love to help you guys build your business. And then I'm Bill Gross. My link tree, which has all my links in it, linktr.ee slash Bill Gross, if you want to find out more about the different programs and things and, and meetings and stuff that I offer or family and social media. Um, and then also just want to add a real quick new program we're launching, our real estate email marketing masterclass. So I end up coaching my, my team of agents across the country on email all the time. I want to record it. I want to participate. So we have a new program, which is the email marketing masterclass. We're going to be offering it on October 11th. There'll be a recorded version. It's $97, uh, uh, which I think you'll get the, the hour content. You get the recorded version uh, if you want to buy that for an upgrade. But we will do four mastermind calls, half hour each weekly to implement that. And the idea is that you should get 16 times more contacts with the people you want to do business with using email properly. I'm going to walk through how I do that and how I built my business that way as well. Okay, so let's go back to the chat real quick. And so um, Winston, who's from Orange County, from the OC, asked a good question. I know you also do some work in Orange County. What differences do you see besides it's just generally nicer in Orange County? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Being from Orange County, I can say that. Being, born, uh, being homegrown from LA. From okay. Orange County. Um, what differences do you see in the way the business is done uh, legally, uh, probate court in LA versus Orange County? There's not that much difference. I mean, from our perspective, there Orange County requires us to file more documents up front. So, whereas LA does not. So, for instance, like things like your your orders and things like that, sometimes they have to get fi be filed up front before the hearing. And whereas we don't do that in LA, but that's not something that anyone besides a lawyer would be concerned about. Um, one thing I did find, though, is that uh, Orange County Court, particularly for probate, they just split it off and put it and put things in Costa, I mean, in Santa Ana or Costa mm -hmm. Mesa, I forget, Santa, Santa Ana. Yeah. And um, like I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast that we filed a document and this is no joke. This was a um, and you guys would all be interested in this because it was a petition to confirm a sale. And, you know, it was hard enough, we, you know, we finally got the deal done, the buyers were all on board, finally, everything, and, you know, they wanted to clear all the contingencies and so forth, blah, 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 great, but we have limited authority. Limited authority, we have to confirm it in court. I filed the petition to confirm in court June 12th. We did not get a hearing date sent back from the court until August 8th. That was insane to me to have to wait basically two months just to get a hearing date, not to have the hearing, but just to get a hearing date. So that was really problematic. In, in LA, we get them back inside the week. Uh, so most of the time, it's within a few couple few days, three four days tops. We get the date. Now, date might be out two months, but we'll get it. It might already. be out two months, but yeah, but, but we still no. Actually, for sales, they're normally about six weeks, something like that. But it, at the same time, and we can always, if if necessary, if there's some urgency involved, we can always 
file to you know make it a little bit shorter but having to wait two months just to get a date and of course we still have to send out notice and things like that so it couldn't be within three three weeks of that date and it wasn't it was about a month later so it just creates a bit of a problem um sometimes when the courts are somewhat slow and right now all the courts are slow because people are still working from home and they're bringing everything online now right so electronic filing uploading documents things like that and the clerks there have to pull them from the upload as opposed to when we walk them in or send them you know mail them in they would deal with them you know as they came in so it's a little different now and i think that every, all the courthouses need more staff but particularly orange county interesting you say that because i find the few times i've been there's like plenty of people it just seems a little more personal mm -hmm. I, I always imagine like because we're so big it's it's like anonymous like you only talk to the clerk at the filing it used to be you bring the document in the file right. and yeah. and most people say oh go talk to the clerk they're very friendly well not in la they're behind bulletproof glass you're never, <laughs> you're never gonna talk to them right yeah. you're efficient but they're not friendly that's right yes now in the courtroom i do find that at the appropriate time the staff are really friendly the, the bailiffs are really nice if oh you're yeah mm -hmm. polite and respectful now if you're not they're going to drag you out of there because they don't mess around. But um, yeah, that's interesting. And I also find that, let me ask you this one. I find that in LA, there's certain things I've seen judges have certain discretion on, allowing it or not. You know, I think I'd say particularly stopping foreclosure sales as an example, where almost any judge in LA will, will uh, approve requests to stop a foreclosure. And I've seen judges in Orange County just say, hey, there's the law, you had your notice period. You know, I'm not going to help you. And it seems like they, and in San Diego as well, they more follow the law rather than using their discretion. Is that a fair way to put that? Yeah, no, I would agree with that definitely. I think part of it is LA, you know, there's so many people in Los Angeles County, and that's a huge court system. Um, you know, they get about a thousand cases, new cases filed a month on top of the ones that are already pre-existing. So they have an incredible caseload. And they have we have some nine courtrooms now, I believe it's nine, I, I lose track, but I think it's around nine or maybe it's 10 now, I'm not sure, but in any event, whereas most of the other counties only have one, maybe two, right? Okay. So there's a huge difference in the way they just process things and stuff like that. And I think because the sheer volume that the court receives as far as cases are concerned, they use their, their, their equitable you know, um, judgment and it was in addition to the legal judgment. Um, and I think that they, they do kind of exercise some of the fairness aspects of things sometimes, yeah. Interesting, interesting you put it that way. I never really thought of it that way, but it makes sense. I mean, it's a mill. I mean, LA, they move through fast. And I have to say, I remember when COVID hit, not knowing who the, the presiding judge was for LA County, he was like like the Wizard of Oz. Like, <laughs> it's true. And I saw him like he gave like a talk online to the attorneys about what the changes they made. Mm -hmm. That's a big operation. Yeah. Who is that guy? Yeah. How did he get that job? Where did he, why is he running the U.S. government? Like, I know that would be great, oh, wouldn't it? Like that Zooms are going up and yeah yeah it was it was pretty incredible I mean we of course as practitioners we had no idea what was really going on for a while because they just shut us all down and so for three months we just simply all of our cases were just continued um and we just thought it was going to be a nightmare after it opened back up and to some extent it was but it's remarkable how they were able to get this system up and going and we've been online ever since I just changed the system again starting the beginning of this month as far as how we as practitioners, actually how everyone logs into the court for probate 
and probate's always the guinea pig. So it goes online. It went online first. We we're changing to this new system first, but it's pretty good. I think it's going to be great because, you know, often uh, practitioners, you may have hearings in multiple courtrooms at the same time in LA. Right. We may have two or three hearings at the same time. Right. And before we'd have to, you know, since this system, we'd have to call, get ourselves put on a second call, you know, and, and dial in, call, you know, uh, you know, kind of toggle back and forth between the courthouses. And now they've created this new platform to where we, it's all on one platform. So we right. can see the other hearings and we can like move in and out of courtrooms all from our um, computer platform so it's pretty cool in the old days you used to see the more active attorneys like run in first call here they run out the door yeah. you know or last call here they run out the door first call there come back and forth yeah, <laughs> they're all skinny because they're running up and down the, the, no. <laughs> down the phone in the hallway and they're running up down the stairs all the all the private trees were skinny run up and down the stairs all the time <laughs> nowadays it's uh they're all sitting around their desk watching on the zoom on the uh la court connect a little different situation yeah yeah Okay, I think we were up to date on the questions. Um, you know, Colette, I really appreciate, you know, having met you and working with you and the way you handle your business. You. Um, you're based in, is it Culver City or yes. in West LA? Culver City, right? Culver City. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're in Culver City in probate administration, trust administration, estate planning. Um, you also handle in that domain conservatorships, guardianships. I literally had an agent from this call. I referred to you, I wish they'd call you already. Um, feel comfortable referring you. Really enjoy the, you know, the chat with you. And I feel like we all learned quite a bit. Oh, here's the last question. Okay, last question of the day from Winston. What's Colette's best advice for knowledgeable probate attorneys? Okay, so here's one. Again, just to go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Realtors all assume you guys all have like these magical cards of real, real estate listings you hand out like candy <laughs> at Halloween. <laughs> it's not that way. Right. Um, and I think, again, that most uh, attorneys get business from realtors as well as, as refer out. So his question is, what's the best way to develop business relationship with probate attorneys? Ooh. If you're advising, let's say, a daughter or a friend who wanted to build a real estate practice in probate, let's mm -hmm. say in another county, mm -hmm. what would you recommend them to do in order to build relationships with attorneys like you in their local area? You know, it's, it's uh, it, you know, I haven't thought about that question in a while. Before, it used to be, you know, showing up at court truthfully because right. we were always there um you know now it's you know no probate i mean try to try to learn a little bit about probate itself because i like i use a handful of realtors i mean i don't use all the, the same realtors all the time but i do like the fact that they understand like what limited authority is and full authority they understand you know the time frame or that the fact that like you you know you understand it's going it might be 6 weeks or 2 months before we get a hearing so that way you can really um, manage your clients expectations as well and that's beneficial for us and so just reaching out to some attorneys and saying listen you know i'm letting them know you've done your homework you understand what this stuff is all about you know you may may or may not have had much experience in the area but just you know just prove to them you have the chops truthfully and that's i, I don't know how else to do that at this point because we're not in person anymore so um that would be challenging and the other thing too is you know there's still in person like continuing education classes and workshops and things like that perhaps you want to participate in some of those um the more people get to know your name obviously the more familiar are they the familiar they are with with you and even if you've never worked with them your name comes up to like oh yeah, yeah i remember that person right you know <laughs> i know that name um they were around this particular uh you know CLE or whatever the case might be and I think that that's one good way to just get to know more probate attorneys there's tons of them out there we do have our favorite people to go to perhaps but 
I always have someone, you know, it's kind of a one-off. I had it's a, a, a house up in um, Palmdale and I didn't have a real estate agent in Palmdale to, you know, to provide for that. So I had to call someone who gave me a referral and so forth. So there's always a, an opportunity to, to refer. Well, I do want to say, I think that probate by its nature is more geographically spread out because Absolutely. you can have customers who, who live near your office, but the, the real estate they're going to hold could be all over the city, county, state, or country. Oh, absolutely. That's why I've created this platform this for referrals around the country and, and around California. So yes. for those of you on the call, I'd love to have you participate, make sure we we connect and, and know who you are to help in those areas. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it does very beneficial. I've had you know, in Ventura, I've had to refer stuff up in San Francisco. I've had to refer things. So, you know, um, I don't also the people on the call, if you're not in LA County, there are counties that they're completely back to in person only. And now it sounds weird for us in LA, but there are smaller counties that have smaller numbers of cases and they want people to come in the courtroom. And so particularly, I, I would say in those smaller counties, more, you know, less urban, more suburban and semi-rural counties, uh, you should go to court, at least find out, see who is there and who's not there. And you'll find this. I'm a little lonely. I've had people on this call who tell me they met, you know, had judges call out, hey, what are you doing here? That sounds great. And walk them over and buy them a cup of coffee. Now, in LA, the judge is not going to buy a cup of coffee. They're no. great. No, I'm not knocking the judge. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but they're busy. Yeah, no, they are busy. But they, no, that's true. I mean, particularly up in some of the, like you said, the more rural areas, it definitely, yeah. the smaller areas, most definitely. Pre-COVID, I would have said almost any attorney would be willing to meet you and go out for lunch or coffee. In fact, you and I went for coffee. Yeah. Is that still true? Or is COVID still kind of hung over with that? Or is that no. all kind of gotten weird? Or how's that work? You know, it's kind of hard. Truthfully, I think I, I actually would welcome it personally. Um, we're all super busy. I don't know why we've been so incredibly busy after COVID. It's just crazy, it's just nonstop work. But we don't get a chance to see our colleagues. We really don't see any other professionals, in, in all honesty, um, unless we make an effort ourselves. And so going out to talk about something other than what we do every day is, would be great, truthfully. I think that would be great. It's funny you say this because my coach forced me to host a, a, a networking event for realtors. I do it the first Wednesday, that last night, first Wednesday of the month mm -hmm. at a beer place, just to meet other people. And people say, why you do this? I don't know, just to meet human beings. Right. <laughs> just to talk to someone in person. <laughs> yeah, other than my wife and my daughter and my grandkids. Other than that, I don't really talk to anybody anymore. Yeah. Okay, last question. William, I, oh, your hand was up. I saw you took it down. I don't know if William Holmes, you're still there. Last call on that one. I went, I'm sorry, we, we went a little bit uh, long on that. Okay, I think I think that's it. Colette, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like I learned a lot. Thanks for your friendship and everything we learned today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And then for those who are interested, I just want to just take a minute here to kind of show you something I'm playing with. I think it's important as real estate agents or any business person to create content that's of value to your customers. So if you follow me at all on my YouTube channel, which is at Bill Gross Probate on YouTube uh, slash at Bill Gross Probate, um, I've created content, you know, I do this podcast, I do some topical uh, recordings I do, and then I did some shorts, some vocabulary shorts and other content shorts. One thing my virtual assistant did was I'm going to show you, and I'm, I'm just curious to see if anybody's interested, I, I've encouraged her to be more entrepreneurial. I think this would be a value to some of you. If you're not going to record the content yourself, why not buy content you like from somebody else and post it on your YouTube channel or post it on your Instagram reels, whatever. So we created this uh, avatar of the content I did. Now you can pick male, female, different types, different pictures. 
You even could put your own picture on and with AI, they'll create your picture. And this is what the content looks like. Power of attorney is a legal document that grants authority to a person, the agent, to act on behalf of another person, the principal, in legal, financial, or other matters, which may be used in probate real estate matters to manage or sell real estate on behalf of the estate or a beneficiary. And so we created a series of these. I think 10 of them are about $100 if you're interested. Um, I am encouraging, I, I, number one, I, I want my team members to have something like this. And two, I think it's something that some of you would appreciate and would benefit from. So if you're interested, I'm not, you know, it's not obviously a big business for me, but it's something that we're kind of playing with and love to kind of work on together. If you're interested, reach out to me, send me an email, and I'm more glad to, um, to um, uh, share with you and if something you're interested in, let you follow up on. Okay, that's all I have for today. Um, not seeing any other questions. Thank you all for being on the call today. Winston, thanks for some good questions. Joyce, always nice to see you um, and your newsletter. And for the rest of you participated, thanks for the questions, the comments, the shout out from uh, Arizona and New Jersey. Always fun to talk to the audience across the country. And don't forget, you heard what she said about referring out to other areas. That's why I do this networking. Now, I've not done the job with her of having her call me for those referrals because I should be able to put her together with some of you in San Francisco and Ventura. And I would probably do Palmdale through my team. So just keep in mind, that's the purpose of this. Let's, let's connect. Feel free to put your contact info here. Uh, if you get emails from me, we're going to be creating a directory by county for those of you participate. Love to have you participate that way. If I can help in any way, please reach out at Bill Gross Probate on social media. Thank you, everybody. Have a fantastic week.